0: I'd like us to start this evening by making a statement. There is no one beyond the reach of God's forgiveness and love. Do you agree with that? Do you believe that? Or to be slightly more provocative, do you like that thought and that idea that no matter What someone has done or is doing, God's love and forgiveness extends to them. During this uh, past week, our news reports and newspapers have obviously been dominated by the riots and the unrest on the streets of London, which then spread out to a number of other cities across England. And thankfully, it all seems to have calmed down to a certain extent. But many people, many people are left Picking up the pieces literally. Property damaged and businesses and shops wrecked. Confidence shattered. And tragically and sadly lives lost. And there's been a lot of discussion and a lot of reflection and a lot of analysis. And many of the scenes we've witnessed or we witnessed at the beginning of last week in particular have shocked and sickened us. And this one brief YouTube clip, which has been seen right across the world, countless hits, and I'm sure we've all seen it, is no exception. And it's become a kind of prime example, according to a number of social commentators, of what is wrong with Broken Britain, to use an increasingly popular phrase. This clip, if you like, captures the depths that we have reached. Many people saw that during the week. Lots of you. Muhammad Asraf Hazik Rosley, 20 years old, just arrived in Britain a month ago in London to study. Described as a gifted accountancy student from Malaysia. And apparently on Wednesday he was knocked off his bike by rioters, repeatedly punched and kicked and suffered a broken jaw and smashed teeth. And I think in the clip you can see him spitting blood. And as the YouTube clip sort of begins or picks up the story, it initially looks like one of the rioters is going to help this young guy to his feet, to become a potential good Samaritan, as one newspaper reflected. But the real reason he was helping him up was so that he and his mate could get better access to Mr. Russell's backpack and effectively mug him take his wallet and his mobile phone and his portable sony playstation and david cameron described the incident as disgusting and an indication of the malays in society another viewer commented or commented it's just sick why would you stay from a helpless kid in that situation or others have branded the rioters as animals Said they wept as they watched that clip. How would you describe those guys? Sick? Animals? Scum? Low life? There is no one beyond the reach of God's forgiveness and love. And the reason reason I've started like this is because tonight we're going to spend some time looking at the book of, or the story of, Jonah. Now that's a name that people usually associate with. A whale. Jonah and the. But this evening, I also want to highlight and consider the role of the worm in Jonah's story. And I want to suggest that it is possibly, now not more important, because that would not be the right word, but certainly more intriguing in terms of what it teaches us, maybe more so than the big fish. And I realise that that's maybe a slightly controversial thought or comment. I kind of hope it is. There is no doubt that this really short book, and it's only got four chapters, it does contain one of the most famous stories in the Bible, but the critical thing to take from it is not thoughts off or questions about or difficulties with a giant mammal and how Jonah lived inside its stomach for three days. It's not what to take from. The central thing to remember, the key point, if you like, that I want you to walk away this evening with is this that God's merciful and he's compassionate and he's slow to get angry and he's filled with unfailing love, that he is eager to turn back from destroying people. Or as Eugene Peterson captures it in the message, I knew, God, you were sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered, rich in love, and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. And as we get into this, I do need to make an important comment. Because if you were here this morning, and I know many of you were, and so you're, you expect me to say this. There is a definite sense that today needs to be taken as a whole. This morning we were very much focusing in on that dimension of God's character that tends to trouble us a little. At the mention of God's character, the jars, that unsettles us, this idea of the wrath and the judgment of God. And so we reflected or we drew attention to this image this morning of God as a ferocious lion. A God who roars. A God who thunders. And a God who threatens to crush. To quote Amos 1 2 and two thirteen tonight we 're going to concentrate on the mercy and the compassion and the love of God, that aspect of god 's character that we celebrate that we rejoice in that we take comfort from that we like. But I urge you to hold the tension because it 's both and if you like it 's this morning. And this evening, and if you weren't here this morning, can I suggest you might consider listening to it online and it should be uploaded in a couple of days. Okay, just a little bit about the context of this. Jonah was a contemporary of Amos who we reflected on this morning. So he lived around the same time, that is 750 years-ish before Jesus. And he was a prophet, although compared to the other prophets, and Amos included, the four chapters of Jonah are remarkably light on prophecy. There's not a lot in there. In fact, it would appear that there is only one line of prophecy from Jonah in the whole book, and this is it. Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And if you compare that to Amos, you'd have to say that Jonah's message wasn't exactly complex. Although it's worth noting that Jonah did show up and he did appear elsewhere in Scripture that back in 2 Kings 14 we read that Jonah prophesied during the reign of King Jeroboam. So this one line wasn't all that Jonah said by way of God's words in a specific situation. But let me read from the beginning of chapter 1 of Jonah. It's page seven in the Bibles in the pews. Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up. Before me. You see, the issue for Jonah right from the word go, and this becomes apparent as you read the rest of the book, the issue was not the message. In fact, you could say that the what wasn't really the problem. To preach against, to speak out against the evil that existed, well, that's okay. We can all do that from where we stand or where we sit. The big challenge lay not in the what But in the who, it was the destination. It was the people. It was the environment. It was Nineveh that created the anxiety. It was the idea of going to Nineveh, going to the people concerned and speaking up and out to them, to confront them. That was the big deal to Jonah. Nineveh was the most important city in Assyria, the rising world superpower of Jonah's day. Fifty years from this point in time, Nineveh was to become the capital of the entire Assyrian empire. And as you read Jonah, the thing is you don't get much of an insight into the place. And if you want to get an insight into Nineveh, you kind of have to read Nahum. Which is a couple of books later. And although he spoke into the Nineveh context about hundred years after Jonah. It is clear that what he finds is what Jonah would have been aware of regarding that place a century before. And Nahum tells us that the people of that place were guilty of hatching evil plots against God. They were guilty of exploiting the helpless. They were guilty of war crimes. They were guilty of idolatry and prostitution and witchcraft in other words this was a sick and a broken society preaching against it wasn't the issue going and preaching against it well that was a different matter you see jonah didn't like the people offering them possible forgiveness stuck in his throat as far as he was concerned, they didn't deserve the chance to experience God's amazing, transforming love. And I wonder, do you ever feel like that about anyone? And so in verse 3, as he wrestles with this, not the what, the who, Jonah runs. He says he runs in the opposite direction. And everything about that reaction is utter madness. Because at one level it raises the whole issue of obedience or disobedience. You see, whenever God speaks into our lives, whenever God is explicit, then there is a temptation to ignore him. Of course there is. To bury our heads in the sand, to block our ears, or to simply turn and run. But that will only ever lead to further difficulties in our faith and spiritual well-being. God often asks us to do tough stuff. But he never asks us to do difficult things for the sake of them. There's always a bigger picture and purpose. And almost exclusively it's for our own growth, development and nurture as true human beings so that we will live these holistic lives in all their fullness. Example, and here's only one example for us. We have been told to love, bless and pray for our enemies. How difficult is that? How annoying is that? How unnatural is it? What's my reaction when I hear that? Obedience? Or run? And yet we know that if we do it, if I love and bless and pray for my enemies, my life is enhanced. And yet whenever I don't, bitterness sets in. Hardness of heart takes root. And my faith suffers. And Joseph up, or Jonah, not Joseph, Jonah opts for disobedience. But the second crazy aspect of Jonah's reaction is in thinking he could run away from the Lord. You see, you can't run away from someone who's everywhere. In fact, when you think about it, you never run from God. You only ever run towards Him. Which is exactly what happened to Jonah. You see, did Jonah create distance by heading for Joppa? Well, maybe in his head, in his mind, in his thinking he did. But as the story unfolds, it turns out that God is there. Right there. Always there. So you can run, of course you can. But you can never hide from God. And Jonah boards a boat in an attempt to escape. And I'm not going to say too much about this part of the story, but one of the interesting aspects of the events that sort of unfold on board this ship, the Tarshish, is this. Because of Jonah's disobedience, the whole crew in the boat are put at risk. And do you know that often happens? That nine times out of ten, our decision to do our own thing doesn't just impact our personal lives, it also affects those around us. And that's always a reality worth bearing in mind whenever you're tempted to run or to disobey God. It's not just my life that's affected. It's often lots of people around me. And Jonah is eventually dumped overboard and he's swallowed by a great fish where it says he spends three days and three nights. And from within this wet, uncomfortable, confined chamber, what does he do? He prays. And it's not often the default position whenever life's closing in round you. And why not? I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? Because when all is going well, you take God for granted. But whenever you lose hope or you sense that it might be fading and you find yourselves in a dark, difficult place, then that's when you cry out. And do you know something? That's okay. And God understands that and God makes room for that. But the truth is, we will develop a much stronger and more robust spirituality if we can learn the practice of praying in the good times as well as in the bad. But in this dark, confined, difficult place, Jonah prays. And God hears his prayer. And Jonah then finds himself standing in the sunlight the sand beneath his feet. But more importantly, Jonah, it says, hears the word of the Lord again. Chapter 3, verse 1. Why? Because he believes in a God of the second chance. God of the second chance. And look at verse 3, because this time Jonah's response is different. It's so different. It says, Jonah obeyed. And then we read that line, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Now the rather surprising aspect of this story is the subsequent reaction from the Ninevites. Look at verse 5. It says, the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, all of them, from the greatest to the least, and they put on sackcloth. And if you glance over at the final verse of the book, you see that this must have involved something like 120,000 plus people. And that kind of thing doesn't usually happen. I mean, it didn't usually happen then, it doesn't today. Prophets in the Old Testament didn't normally receive a great welcome. They tended to get beaten up and lowered into a sewer. Or at the very least, they were ignored. They were told to get lost. But here, it's radically different. Refreshingly different. Because even the king strips down and sits in the dust and he urges everyone to urgently call on God to give up their evil ways and their violence. And who knows, he says, to quote verse 9, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And Jonah must have been shocked at this. But in fact, he was more than shocked as we'll see in a moment. But before we consider Jonah's reaction, look at God's. Verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they had turned from their evil ways, he had compassion on them and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. You see, there really is no one beyond the reach of God's forgiveness and love. God's word is for all. Even the most twisted, most messed up, sick people. They can apparently find restoration and reconnection and acceptance. But Jonah is seething. He is not a happy boy. Which I find disturbing and yet so challenging because It's a little too close to my reaction sometimes if I'm honest. The text says Jonah was greatly displeased. He was angry. You see, Jonah was relieved, delighted, thankful whenever God saved him from the belly of a fish. But he was livid whenever God saved the people of Nineveh from the depths of their depravity. And then I love the next two words. Chapter 4, verse 2, he prayed again. And this is another great model because even though Jonah is angry now and he's hacked off and he's frustrated at God, he turns to him in prayer. And you know, often when we are angry, and especially when we're angry with God, praying's not easy. Or it's certainly not our immediate consideration. But here, Jonah takes his negative emotions and he expresses them in prayer. And out of that experience, and it is a discipline. It's a discipline to do this. But out of that experience and that discipline comes this phrase. This truth. This reality about God that keeps coming up time and time again as we journey through this series. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God. Slow to get angry. Filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. It's got to be one of my favourite verses in the Bible. But even though Jonah gets this, hears this, he's still not in a good place. And so he walks away and he sits down and he sulks. And as he reflects and as he waits, To see what's going to happen to the people of Nineveh. He gets increasingly uncomfortable. The heat is getting intense. The shade that he had found to sit under isn't adequate. And so God graciously provides, it says, additional shade. He makes a vine grow up over Jonah. And Jonah is at this stage, to quote verse 6, very happy now it's time for the worm you were wondering when we were going to get to that bit and it says in the text that God provides a worm but what does the worm do it chews at the vine first thing in the morning and causes it to wither the additional shade is gone Jonah is roasted to the point where he almost faints, it says. And then he cries out, it would have been better for me to die than to live, verse 8. And the anger rises again and then God speaks again. And effectively what God says is this. Jonah, this is my world. And it's filled with my creations. And if you care so passionately about something so ordinary as a vine, and you get so worked up about it when it doesn't quite do what you expect it and want it to do, then should God not care far more passionately about the inhabitants of Nineveh. And okay, according to verse 11, they don't know their left hand from their right. Which means they don't know right from wrong. But God loves them. And God reaches out to them. And God is willing to forgive them. And here's the question. And it's the question that concludes the book. It's there at the end of verse 11. Should God not be concerned about that great city? And the question's just left hanging, suspended in midair waiting for you and I to answer it and we all know what the answer is and i think there are many times and there are many situations and this week possibly provides an interesting example whenever we wish for honest if i'm honest or we think you know those people those people and we all have certain sick people in mind in addition to the rioters in London. That there are some people who deserve nothing other than judgment and punishment, even immediate destruction, because they are so wicked, they're so far gone, they're so evil, they're so messed up. And yet the story of the experience of Jonah reminds us that God is far more merciful than we can ever imagine. This story challenges me, and it really has during the week, challenged me about my attitudes towards the inhabitants of each city. The inhabitants of our world. The rioters. The gang leaders. The drug dealers. The terrorists. The child abusers. You add whoever it is for you that you struggle with. Yes, I know they need to reach the similar place that the people of Nineveh and the king did. A place of recognizing their need of God and his forgiveness. I know that. But when and if they do, will I be thankful or suspicious? And maybe more importantly, before they do, am I willing to go and speak into their lives God-infused words of warning and hope? See, that's really the question, isn't it, for me? The people of Nineveh didn't deserve God's forgiveness, but God showed compassion. Rhys Donovan, who's 21, and lives in Romford, and who's been charged with mugging Muhammad, Asraf Hazik, Rosalie. He may not deserve God's forgiveness, but it's freely available to him. And I wonder, will anyone let him know that? There is no one beyond the reach of God's love and forgiveness. It took a whale and a worm to convince Jonah of this. What will it take for me?